A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the force. That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode 112 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your ticket to the EU. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report 2nd Airborne Division at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes, Zoom, as well as Stitcher, and right on our own Facebook page at SW Beyond Films. But enough about how you got here. Let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of the multiverse, Mark Herleman. And with me, like the thrusters that push every ship in outer space, the EU guru himself, the Count of Continuity, Mr. Nathan P. Butler. Hey, everybody. It's like we just recorded an episode. Oh, wait. <laughs> yes, and let me apologize right now if my voice is uh, very scratchy. We did just record an episode uh, before this, which I got a little into my voice, but uh, we did snow capades with the scouts over the weekend, so I've been shouting at kids for the last three days, so that's kind of why I sound so hoarse. <laughs> Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long time, or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars, and so do we. This episode, we turn once again to you Beyonders. This week, your feedback is again center stage. Consider this your spoiler warning, Beyonders and Sentients of All Ages, because here we go on another adventure beyond the films. Right, we pick up this time, uh, basically where we left off last time. Uh, Adam Taylor uh, makes a comment this time around, dealing with the Dark Horse uh, announcement of them losing the license and such. Uh, and we will eventually wind up bringing this around by the end of this episode to one of our more, I guess, uh, deep and well-received and yet controversial episodes, the whole fangirls going rogue visit, um, dealing with the whole issue of convention, sexual harassment, and the like. Um, but picking up a Dark Horse first, Adam Taylor says, Dark Horse has always been the truest expression of what I loved about Star Wars when I was a kid, and they continue to strive for that same level of quality. In 1999, Star Wars changed, and I wasn't convinced, until Dark Horse began to release tie-in material, and they somehow managed to put a spin on this prequel galaxy that made it feel like home. The next nine years gave birth to what I feel are the greatest Star Wars stories ever put in comic, game, or novel. I still read through Republic, KOTOR, Legacy, Dark Times, The Tales Collection, Slash Omnibuy, Tales of the Jedi, Golden Age of the Sith, and Darth Vader and the Ghost Prison regularly. And those very comics give me peace knowing that after 2015, I can still read a good Star Wars comic. 
From 2008 to now, Lucasfilm began to throw some rusty spanners around the continuity works, and it wasn't a good time to be a fan, or at least a fan who concerns themselves with continuity and quality. But Dark Horse pushed on, releasing quality issue after quality issue. I won't lie when I say, with the end of the Dark Horse Star Wars license comes the end of my fandom outside of the movies, and to be honest, they could easily suck. Hard. Which is a shame, because it has carried me through the dark times, when Lucasfilm weren't making movies and taking us to that galaxy far, far away, Dark Horse was. So I'd like to thank each and every owner, editor, writer, penciler, inker, colorist, and letterer, in no particular order, especially John Jackson Miller, Brian Ching, John Ostrander, Jan Dersima, Dustin Weaver, Michael Heiser, Michael Atea, Hayden Blackman, Doug Wheatley, Randy Stradley, Joshua Ortega, Dario Carrasco Jr., Tony Akins, Kevin J. Anderson, Chris Gossett. I mirror another Dark Horse fan in saying I feel like Yoda, clutching at my chest as Order 66 takes away everything I know and care about and condemns the galaxy I swore to protect to darkness and death. I can't fully express my feelings about Marvel at this time, as I feel it would be more vitriol than constructive outrage. Suffice it to say, make mine Dark Horse. Yoda, I love that. That's yes, absolutely. I'm right there with you 100. Uh, you know, you talk about the dark times, and I think you know many EU fans come away with that feeling. You know that that they were such staunch defenders of the EU due to that. You know, Dark Horse provided in a time when the makers just didn't care, and so you know you really want to come back to bat for the EU in that regard because that dark time felt so big. I mean, granted, it wasn't as big as, as many of us felt like, but there was no kidding that there were no Star Wars movies on the horizon back then, you know. And so for a lot of people, that was it. And then you had the special editions coming out and everybody's like, oh, hey, wait, Star Wars is starting to see some live light. You know, what's going on here? And the rest is history. But those dark times really made some staunch defenders of the EU. You know, I mean, again, it's another thing sort of it'll be interesting to see how this winds up playing out. Um, they certainly have had a lot of really, really good stuff coming from Dark Horse. Granted, though, Dark Horse also has had its bombs. Uh, again, Tales from Most Icy being an example. To me, Dark Times is an example. Um, but they certainly weren't afraid to experiment. Things like Infinities and New Hope and that line of things. Tag and Bigger Dead bringing in Kevin Rubio uh, in a time in which what he was mostly known for was the Troops fan film. Um, they have done a lot of good things for Star Wars and have consistently, mostly, uh, produced materials that have added a lot of good things to the universe. When they produce things, a lot of times they're not fluff. Sometimes they are. Sometimes they're throwaway stories, but they've tended to add things to the universe. Um, and generally, you know, if a bad comic is bad or a bad series is bad, you can just kind of shrug it off because it's just the one, uh, like, say, Darth Vader and the Ghost Prison, and not condemn the entire line. Um, but I don't know. I'm, I'm curious where this is going to go. I don't necessarily think that the end of Dark Horse doing Star Wars comics is uh, condemning the galaxy to darkness and death. Um, we just don't know what they're going to do yet. Uh, Marvel is very different now than it was in the 80s when it produced the original Star Wars comic series of 107 issues, uh, the, the three annuals, the Return of the Jedi adaptation, the droids and Ewoks comics and such, the stuff in Pizzazz. Um, they are a very different company. Star Wars comics in general have become very different. Star Wars is different. Um, the comic publishing industry and the, the audience is different. We don't know what they're going to do yet. So as much as we may really enjoy what Dark Horse did, there's nothing to say that we won't enjoy what Marvel does as much or possibly even more. Um, we just don't know. Uh, but putting to bed so many great concepts is, 
know, it does stink. Um, I would say, though, that it makes me... There's always been that thing where the question is raised to play devil's advocate here of, well, how can Star Wars grow when a lot of times it's being based around characters that are only EU characters and that may not be able to bring in new audiences because they don't know what the hell's going on. Um, they've kind of got into that whole let's make things accessible thing recently, which takes that in a way that as being part of the EU really kind of stunk because it felt like we were going back to basics and stuff that most people would say, why are we reading something like Razor's Edge? Why are we reading Star Wars Volume 2? Um, you know, there, there is something to be said for the idea of new audiences and new possibilities. Um, you can keep adding stuff to the existing EU, and that would be great if they somehow did, but at the same time, there's that question of, well, what could they do with a clean slate? You know, what other kinds of ideas could they go with that might be just as interesting? I mean, imagine if they're able to capture the feel of the original Star Wars films, the mythological aspects of the original three films, um, and are able to keep going with the themes of that in a deeper and more interconnected way than they ever did before, making this finally feel like something that has matured rather than just getting darker. Um, I mean, who knows what they could do with it? So I'm, I'm sort of cautiously optimistic. I'm wary, but I expect that there is a reboot or some kind of change coming. So I prefer to look at it with optimism that maybe we'll see something that'll be particularly entertaining and not something that turns out to be crap. Um, yeah. Either way, they're going to want to try to produce a solid product, but if it's disconnected from what's come before, yeah, that certainly does make, it's going to make me look a little bit differently at those four book towers, uh, two giant bookshelves, 150 plus or whatever it is, uh, YouTube videos, you know, <laughs> 15 or whatever, 20 almost years of, of the Star Wars timeline, gold kind of stuff. It, we're going to look at it differently. It's our choice as fans whether or not we read anything new or we simply give up. It's, it's anyone's right, but I, for one, for now, I'm sticking around. See, and, and if they did do that reboot, you know, I, I would be excited to see Leia take a bigger role. Uh, granted, in the film aspect, you, I wouldn't care to see that because she's going to be much older than, than what I'm hoping for. But if they were to do a new EU, I would love to see stories with Luke and Leia as Jedi before, you know, well, maybe right as Luke's just start to become the master, but he's still quite it doesn't quite have the feel of it. Like I would like to see Leia have more of a prominent role within the Jedi. I mean, you know, one of the things that did bother me in the later EU books, especially the last nine book series was the fact that they were pretty much leaderless and they had sitting on their council, a master, well, not even a master. She's still a knight, And yet she has run a government. It's like, you would think that she would have been the obvious choice, but because the way the EU went with her character, that, that's how come it was the way it was. I mean, I'd love to see a new one where she was starting to train like, you know, months or a year right after return of the Jedi in that regard. I I'm curious and I'd be interested in that, but I get back to, you know, last episode where Andrew had mentioned, you know, about the, ch the shift in star Wars and me being left behind, they would have to do something like that to draw me back in because I, that disconnect is there. And that's, I'm too trying to stay optimistic as much as I can because there's so little being given to us. I will say, you know, before we move on to the next uh, message here, that yes, Dark Horse and Bantam uh, and West End Games and for a while their uh, Marvel comics were producing Star Wars stories when there weren't any new films out. Uh, in some cases when there weren't even new Star Wars crappy cartoons on television like Droids and Ewoks. But it's not that Lucasfilm and Lucas didn't care. It's in, in that case, it's because Lucas was focusing on, in some respects, kind of pushing the movie industry forward technology-wise, but in a lot of ways, he was stepping back to raise children. 
Um, so it, it, intellectual honesty here, credit where due. It's not that the guy said, screw Star Wars, I'm just going to ride and coast on the money I'm making off of this. He did have a good reason for why he stepped back. Um, and eventually, once the kids were a little bit older, he stepped back into things again. Um, I, I don't think we should necessarily uh, look at that as a negative decision on their part, though certainly it was a black hole when it came to new Star Wars content for a while. Um, all right. Then we have uh, another message coming in, very short and sweet here from Jonathan Landau, who says, Could they keep alive or bring back some of Dark Horse's comics, like either Legacy version 1 or 2 or Dawn of the Jedi? Also, is there any chance of the duo of John Ostrander and Jan Dersima might come over to Marvel to continue their great work? I'd love to see that. I mean, I, I, I think that it's possible. I mean, Jan especially started with Marvel. Uh, I want to say even... Uh, uh, John Jackson Miller has worked with Marvel before in the past. I know he's doing a Star Trek book right now. It's not outside the realm of possibility for them to come across. Uh, so, I mean, I, I stay hopeful that if Marvel is smart on their end, they would look at some of these people in that regard. Because, I mean, I look at it like a Leland Chi scenario. I mean, you know, why wouldn't you want this guy working on your team? He knows so much about what came before. But at the same time, there's that accessibility part where maybe they don't want them because they're going to bring in their old ideas or their old concepts into a new story. But that gets back to that, well, we don't really know. So I stay hopeful that it's possible we'll see them pop in and start doing some storytelling in the Marvel camp, but I don't know. I would say that it's extremely unlikely, but maybe possible. It sort of just depends on what they're going to do with the EU in general. You know, if they want to continue it, it would make sense they could continue off of those stories, even if they're not continuing that story itself. There were Star Wars, and we're going to talk about this when we talk about Star Wars Vector soon. It's not like Star Wars does much in the way of crossovers or the idea that Star Wars has like this, this ongoing series that is locked in and of itself that doesn't interact with other things. Star Wars is more of a cross-through and shared universe type of thing. Um, you wouldn't need to necessarily have Dawn of the Jedi continue or have a crossover between Dawn of the Jedi and this new series in order to use Dawn of the Jedi characters in something else because it's a shared universe. Just like you didn't necessarily need when I did the story for a, the equals and opposites for Star Wars Tales, that wasn't labeled Dark Forces equals and opposites or anything like that. They didn't have to necessarily tie it back into the Dark Forces and Jedi Knight games because, well... It's a shared universe. The character exists in the universe. It can be used wherever. Um, I would actually say it's more likely that they would be able to use, if they wanted to, Star Wars characters than the actual talent themselves. Because it really depends on whether these artists or writers have contracts with a particular company or if they're freelance. Uh, like when I wrote the story for Tales, it was freelance. So I could write for them. I could write for whomever. Um but if you take someone like Jan Dersima, I know, for instance, when she talked about uh, uh, finishing the last issue of uh, Force War for Dawn of the Jedi, that would be the last of her for Star Wars, it seemed. Um, which I think means that she is more connected to Dark Horse. You know, these companies tend to keep a stable of writers and artists you know, on hand so that they can be part of multiple projects and such. So it's a question of whether John Jackson Miller or Ostrander or Dersima or whoever are going to be still associated with Dark Horse for years to come. Or if there's a possibility that they were freelance, or if there's a possibility that, yes, they're tied into Dark Horse now, but could instead choose to, you know, kind of link themselves contractually to Marvel at some point in the future and leave 
Dark Horse in doing so. It's going to depend on the team. So I would guess that Marvel has a lot of artists and writers chomping at the bit to get a chance to go at Star Wars, and they're probably going to turn to their own people that they trust and have worked with plenty before to put together Star Wars materials before they try to start bringing in anybody else um, from outside the fold. That seems to be more Marvel's, or really all the big companies' ways of doing things right now. Uh, The hope is there, but I don't see it as particularly likely. And our last one dealing with that topic of Dark Horse and Marvel and such, before we get into responses to uh, the sexual harassment and such episode, we have an email here from Glenn Stein, uh, who's been a listener of, for instance, uh, a Republic Forces Radio Network for a while. Uh, He says, Considering how much you talked about it in the year-end comics episode, I'm surprised that you made no mention of variant covers. Uh, Dark Horse did variant covers for very few of its Star Wars comics, and usually only one variant. However, for the Buffy the Vampire Slayer and spinoff comics, every issue has had two covers. Conversely, when Marvel does variants, they seem to do multiple variants for those issues. They just started a new Black Widow comic. There were five different variant covers for number one and two planned for each of the next two issues. For the Avengers vs. X-Men special event, each issue had three variant covers and slightly different covers for reprints. This might not hold for every issue of every comic, but a short search on Marvel.com found multiple variants for each issue in five of the recommended current series. This week, as of the time he wrote this, Marvel released 25 comics with 17 variant covers on approximately eight of those titles. As to my thoughts on the license going back to Marvel, I'd like to complain that it means Dawn of the Jedi and Legacy Volume 2 will end prematurely, but given Dark Horse's recent track record, that was likely to happen anyway. We have no idea what Marvel is going to do with the license, but we can hope that they don't completely overwrite 24 years of Dark Horse stories, but instead find new places on the timeline to explore. Sadly, Legacy, Nathan's most favorite Star Wars comic series ever, and he says ever capitalized with like four exclamation points, is likely to be pushed aside. All for now, Glenn Stein. Yeah, you know, I mean, the variant cover thing, like I I think about uh, Amazing Spider-Man. They're going to be relaunching that one in... April or May, I think it's April. And my comic book store, the owner, uh, my friend Jeff, was telling me about the fact that Marvel had contacted him, and if he bought like uh, six thousand copies, at, and I think they're like six ninety nine this this issue, but if he bought that many, they would make a dark horse or not dark horse, they would make a uh, iguana comics variant just specific for that store, and he would get to pick his uh, artist on the Marvel stable of artists. And then they would do one that was just specifically for his store. So, I mean, they do do a lot more variants uh, across the board in that regard. So I would see like with Marvel, a step up of, of variants when we finally get there. But I always liked the fact that dark horse didn't do many variants. Cause that was one of the reasons why I don't collect variants is that there are so many at Marvel's end. Uh, I have a variant of uh, venom gold uh, that I have that I love, but the, the, Venom Black one was even more money, you know, and they always had that. There was always one more that was even more expensive. And and that's been the big turnoff for me with variants. But I know a lot of people out there that that's all they collect are the variants and stuff. And they really get a kick out of that. Uh, But some of the smaller comic shops, they don't even get the variants unless they have so many of a certain line ordered. So if you're living in a bigger city, you're going to have more potential to get variants than someone in a smaller city. So there's all that kind of stuff going along with them. Uh, And and you mentioned also a series ending prematurely like the uh, Star Wars ongoing or Legacy. And I recall someone had mentioned somewhere back at WonderCon uh, up in Seattle that they had said that there 
were only going to be this many of these. So it seems like that actually kind of slid underneath a lot of the fandom radars that there was a planned end point on these, which I'm actually happy for. I'd much rather have a planned end than one that just ends like Rebellion, where it's just like all of a sudden, what happened to these these characters in the stories and they all just get left off which gets back to that other question you know of, of characters showing up in other stories maybe you know marvel would be smart to look at some of those dark horse series that ended prematurely and revive them i mean that might be a, a dangerous risk you know reviving characters and stories from a, a competitor but when you're dealing in the world of star wars i say go for it i mean look at marvel and disney uh, and Fox over the whole Avengers and X-Men thing. And now you've got uh, Quicksilver showing up in two of them, which to me is is awesome. I love the fact that they're doing that. But it also makes me question why in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. they can't use the word mutant. It's like, you know, th- that behind-the-scenes aspect of, well, we got franchise, we got, we got copyright here and all that kind of stuff. And the way that that limits the storytelling, I, I hate that. That's the bunk because, you know... I don't care who owns what right tell a good story and if the fact remains that this character was in this story you tell that story you don't cut the character out and add something new or change a word it's like i to me that's bs i i, I hate that aspect of it so hopefully you know when they go forward we can see something really cool happen and not be limited by that but i i really think we're probably going to be limited and when it comes to the variant comics uh, comics we talked about the idea that you know dark horse doesn't do it as much um, which has been nice. Uh, I don't actually know a lot of people who do comic collecting and collect all the variants of the Star Wars comics. So it hasn't been an, as much of an issue, and at least in the past, beyond something like the Star Wars number one or the first four issues of Star Wars Volume 2, for the most part, it's been easy to collect those. Uh, there's been maybe a small handful of variants for a given comic, and that's about it. Um, certainly not nearly as many different variants as they did with, say, uh, Star Wars Tales or doing stuff with uh, uh, the stuff around the time of 1999, whether we're talking Episode One's tie-ins, the Episode One adaptation, and that sort of thing. Uh, on the other hand, I mean, at the same time, yes, Marvel does a whole lot of them, but at this point, after what happened recently with Volume 2 and The Star Wars, it's going to happen no matter where the license is, apparently, because now Dark Horse is digging deep into that well. So I'm not sure if that is something that is to be really worried about as it makes the jump between the two. Yeah, Marvel's probably going to do more of them, but Dark Horse is doing quite a bit right now. And it seems as though the majority of Star Wars fans, at least of EU and comic fans, are much more concerned about the story and being able to get a hold of these stories, what I call the story collector back on Star Wars Action News, um, as opposed to being on a hunt for all the variant covers. But I do feel for people like a... Uh, Carlos, who's one of our ongoing listeners, who's uh, he's out there collecting all the different variants. He has a, a Star Wars comics Facebook page showing different covers and such to try to uh, educate folks out there. Uh, or people like fellow Star Wars timeliner and Atlas helper Eddie Vanderheiden, who's not only collecting things like variants, but he's also doing so from, in his case, the Netherlands. Um, so he's doing it in a way that he's going to have to import a lot of stuff uh, if he's getting the American variant covers of things. So, I mean, it's it's a it's a valid point. I'm not sure that it is something that is the biggest concern when we're dealing with whether, uh, you know, what we think about what's happening with, with the jump to Marvel. Uh, there's a lot bigger fish to fry than the issue, it seems like, of variant covers and such. Um, but, you know, it's, it's going to start to change anyway. As for the ones that may end prematurely, I am a little bit concerned about Dawn of the Jedi ending with Force War. Uh, obviously, that's the end of an arc that was planned ahead of time, but I'm not sure if it's going to feel like the end of a series because it was coming up so soon 
Um, but at least Star Wars Volume 2, we're told there's a plan to round it out because they were always planning on a certain number of issues. And the same thing sort of goes for Legacy Volume 2. They were always planning for a certain number of issues, uh, and they have flat out said that the last arc, they're making sure that it fits and feels like a finale, like a wrap-up of the story. So I'm not quite as worried about those, but Dawn of the Jedi certainly has that question of what's going to happen with it. Um, but I guess we'll know in a few months because we shouldn't be seeing, as far as I recall, any new original Star Wars comics after about August. At that point, it should be all pretty much collecting what's come before. Yeah, I think uh, the Darth Maul one, uh, that's the last one they've announced. So yeah, after that, I think it's uh, crickets. And this brings us to three pieces of feedback, all dealing with the episode that we did very recently uh, with Chris Bar and Teresa Delgado about the whole concept of... Uh, being safe, I guess you could say, at conventions, the fact that there was a story out there that that uh, alleged that Brian Wood had committed some form of sexual harassment, essentially, um, at a convention, and that opened up some some sniping about him and some back and forth about him in fandom, but it also opened up this broader issue of what about people's behavior at conventions, what is appropriate, what is not appropriate, what should people be afraid of, what should they be wary of, what do you do if there's trouble, are conventions trying to address this sort of thing, uh, and so forth, especially in light of, and when it comes to Star Wars conventions, how do they stack up to other conventions in terms of how safe one should feel, whether it's a family feel or an adult field, and so forth. And so we have three items here, uh, one a little bit longer that we'll start with, a couple that are a little bit shorter, but I think they're all very much on point. The last one being the one that's probably going to have a tendency to possibly irk some folks because just because of the, the, the phrasing of it. But I think it brings up some important issues that uh, especially I, as a guy who teaches government, has taught constitutional law before, um, find particularly interesting. Uh, so that brings us to Andrew Gilbertson on this issue with our longest of the three. Uh, Andrew says... I have to take issue with your guests in episode number 108 in the discussion of revealing cosplay and echo to some degree some of the statements made in follow-up. As Nathan said, no amount of skin shown or slinky costumes worn gives any man anywhere the right to harass, molest, assault, or even annoy a fellow convention-goer, nor to step beyond the bounds of propriety, which some might argue the wearer of such a costume already has, but two wrongs don't make a right, or social courtesy. Personal space doesn't cease to be respected just because someone is wearing a Slave Leia outfit. On the other hand, to say, I wear it because it makes me feel empowered not to be looked at is, to me, both a fundamentally naive and a terribly selfish viewpoint with roots in arrogance. Let's face it, guys are visually oriented in regards to their sex drive. It's not just some macho thing that they have to get over. It's a fact of their biology. A study of neuroscience, or even simpler articles like those at yourbrainonporn.com, easily bear this out. Today, I see a number of women in the current culture take the Power Girl approach, as in the famously endowed DC superheroine with the fairly exhibitionist outfit. In one issue of the comics, the writers have her questioned about the outfit, to which she responds, It shows what I am, female, healthy, and strong. If men want to degrade themselves by staring and drooling and tripping over themselves, that's their problem. I'm not going to apologize for it. That's all fine and dandy and girl powery, but it's also problematic. It showcases a lack of understanding of the innate effect that such a display is having on men, not because of a lack of self-control or a desire to revel in their baser instincts, but as a basic fact of how their brain is wired to respond to stimulus. That bared skin and tight clothing is going to have an impact. It's going to ignite the sex drive and capture the eyes and mind, not because the guy is choosing to think or react that way, but because it's burned into the neural pathways of his brain. 
Which is why this culture of low-cut tops and boob windows, and it's a sad day when that phrase functions as a Star Wars callback, makes it an extremely difficult one for males that want to exert a little self-control. They're told that they just need to ignore the stimuli being paraded all around them, and that they should feel ashamed or lack in integrity if the skimpy outfits all around them give them a tough time. This feels rather like the classic after-school special Have You Tried Not Being Gay example, putting unfair expectations and the onus of choice made badly on someone for something that it's not a matter of choice, but a fact of the way their mind and body are wired to respond. In the end, of course, it's still on the guy to take those stimuli and respond to them in a mature manner. There has never been a woman asking to be raped, as some people used to say, due to promiscuous clothing or behavior. Those choices of apparel or behavior may have been unwise or unhelpful, but it has always been and will always remain the responsibility of a man to remain a gentleman no matter the temptation or so-called provocation. Again, no skimpy outfit or suggested behavior is ever, under any circumstances, licensed to treat a woman with anything other than courtesy or respect, nor is any of this email intended to suggest otherwise. There is no excuse for abuse, for assault, even for sexism, due to dress or appearance or actions. That is on guys 100% and something that needs to be hit hard wherever and whenever it crops up. But it is also only fair to ask female cosplayers, and even everyday pedestrians in the warmer climates, to take into account just what effect they're having. They may not wear a Slave Leia outfit to be looked at, but that is the effect it will have. They may wear it because they feel it's empowering, but that is not how it will be taken by the opposite sex. And to expect the males around them to just ignore it, and view it in a non-sexual manner, is ignorant of basic facts of their neurology, and to some degree a selfish attitude, and that it only considers the wearer and their intent with no consideration of others or the unintended effects it will have on them. So, no, it is not reasonable for the power girls of this world to expect that their outfits, because not sexually intended, will have no sexual effect or suggestion on the men around them. And no, that is not because they are thinking of the costume wearer as slutty or unintelligent or promiscuous or anything else that the Slave Leia discussing philosophy example seems designed to dispel. It is merely how the sight of something like that will affect a male of the species, thanks to the way they are innately built. And most especially, no, that fact does not give any of those males the right to do anything ungentlemanly or untoward, to behave in a harassing or unwelcome manner, or to treat women that are so dressed in any way other than as respectfully and honorably as they would treat anyone else around them. But I think that it should entitle the men to some consideration of just how much such an outfit makes doing so more difficult for them. As a plea to the Slave Leia's, Geonosis Padme's, and Laura Croft cosplayers of the world, you deserve to always be treated with courtesy and respect. Always. But please also do the men around you the courtesy and respect of being aware of how your outfit is affecting them. If you don't want to be viewed in a sexual way, don't wear the clothing that automatically provokes that response from men. Yes, you have the right to feel empowered, and yes, it is your body to display as you will or won't. But that doesn't mean that your choice in the matter won't still have effects on other people. And wearing something that bears a lot of skin or hugs a lot of curves and expecting the guys around you not to react or view it in a sexual manner is just not realistic to the way their brain and bodies function. It may not feel fair, but that's how it is. And showing a bit of consideration for the way you're affecting them is key in these situations because their responses and reactions, no matter how much self-control they exercise, will not be unaffected by your choice of garb. That's no excuse for untoward behavior, but it is something for you to remain aware of and considerate of. And above all, you do have the right to dress however you will and not be harassed or propositioned or bothered. Do so considerately and courteously to the men's situation, but be aware that it is always the men's responsibility and theirs alone to behave courteously and responsibly toward you, 
no matter how difficult your apparel may or may not make it, and no cosplay in the world can ever absolve them of that responsibility. And to the male con-goer, that goes double. I don't think of you as stupid. You know what's right and wrong, what's acceptable and unacceptable. You know what's just being friendly and what's being bothersome. And no, cloaking that in being funny doesn't cut it. Don't feign ignorance. Don't pretend you thought it was ignorant. You're not that dumb. You know the difference between courtesy and harassment. You know what's acceptable and what isn't. And no, nothing that she's wearing changes that. Ever. Sincerely, Andrew Gilbertson. Well, you know it's a firecracker topic all the way around because of how people can go and address it. But, you know, how we as men respond to the simile is the heart of the guy's end. I mean, you know, yeah, our eyes are drawn to it. Yeah, what's going on down below our pants wants to draw us towards that. But we don't have to move towards that object. You know, I mean, we've got the end all be all when it comes to how we respond to that stimuli. Yeah, it gets a little more difficult once your heart starts beating fast and everything down south of the border starts getting involved. And, you know, Robin Williams once said this, and I actually have this as a quote on a mirror that I have right here on my desk. God gave us a penis and a brain, but only enough blood to run one at a time. He said that on The Tonight Show. And honestly, there's... There is a, a bit of that that for guys, like if you're not aware of that fact, it's like once that other brain starts kicking in, if if you're not aware of that, you're screwed because you're not going to be taking responsibility for your own actions. You're going to be using that as a scapegoat. And that's a problem for guys. You know, you've got to be in control of yourself. And once things start going into motion, once your eyes start being drawn to places they probably shouldn't be drawn for as long as they're being drawn there, you need to take a step back. You know, you need to remove yourself. So I get where where Andrew's going with that, you know, be aware of what you're causing to them just as much as they need to be aware of what's going on. But when also, you, you know, you mentioned the slave Leia and, and the intentions going on and wearing that. I have a friend that when we grew up, you know, was just as big a geek as I, and then he moved away for two years. And when he moved back, he decided he was a gangster. Uh, so much so he would wear the do-rags and this is a white kid. Okay. Just, just to put it in context for you, but he would dress Full on like South Central with the do rags, with his colors, with the pants that were baggy. And, and I had nothing against baggy pants. I was wearing baggy clothes too, but I wasn't doing the things he was doing. He was always talking about being affiliated with this gang and that gang. And then would get upset that because of how he was dressed, people would treat him differently. And it was like, dude, you're not going to get the world to recognize that you've got a heart of gold underneath that thug exterior. No matter what you say, it's not going to work. There are going to be people out there that are going to dismiss you because of what you're wearing, or they're going to judge you based on what you're wearing. And that's just, that is human nature. And so there's that aspect of things too, that, you know, when you're putting on an outfit, like, like the slave Leia, you got to keep that in mind too, that there is an aspect of human nature here and that your chances of running into a guy being a pig are going to go up if you're wearing that costume versus Leia in a new hope. So, you know, there are those aspects as well. And yeah, it sucks when you're wanting to be the cosplayer and you want to wear the costume you want to wear and you go out and you're getting everybody and their dog is hitting on you and a lot of them are being inappropriate. I mean, there's there's no excuse for the inappropriateness. But there are angles and avenues of this that we can control to a degree and if we're choosing to ignore some of those aspects in, in wanting to exercise our rights, we also got to try not to be as offended when some of those things come back and, and smack us in the face. Mainly like my friend wanting to go out wearing his thug stuff and then getting irritated when people were giving him dirty looks. It's like, well, you know, you're living in a small town where nobody dresses like that at all. And yet here you are trying to promote that lifestyle that, 
you know, publicly is is seen in a negative light because nobody wants a gangbanger living on their street and you look like a gangbanger. You know, I mean, so there's that aspect of the visual side that, that we all got to keep in mind. But at the end of the day, as Andrew says, you know, it comes back to us guys as to we're in control and we're the ones that can or cannot go forward and do the abuse when it comes to the verbal abuse and stuff. I mean, a girl doesn't put on the slave Leia costume and start walking up and start you know, talking like a porn star to every guy. That's not what you're seeing at these places. I mean, I'm assuming that's not what you're seeing at these places. I've never actually been to one yet, but that was why I was so interested. You know, I wanted to know more from the female perspective and stuff. And, and, you know, I mean, Nathan, you've gone and, you know, I knew you going had been mainly as a single male. So I was curious as to how, you know, your interpretations of things came. So it was very eye opening all the way around, but you know, we kind of knew there would be some feedback one way or the other because of how a, a delicate and, and, controversial topic like sexism and gender and, and gender equality and and you know uh overpowerment or empowerment of men or male you know all that aspect comes with so much extra baggage and you're so worried about how you're going to say what you're saying to get your point across without offending people but also making those people that may be offended understand where you're coming from that inevitably people are going to trip over their tongues and it's a lot harder i think to do it over a podcast than even in like say a forum because at least a forum you can go back and edit what you say you know i mean here you could slip one wrong word and suddenly everyone that's listening is thinking you mean something totally different than what you mean so it's definitely a firecracker minefield to walk into when you go into it hence that was why it was a topic that seemed right at home at beyond the films yeah um let's see because and this kind of pre-addresses some stuff that's going to come up in that last of the emails um okay i i i agree with pretty much everything that andrew had said right um and that was something that i was trying to get at at one point in the show i started a comment about uh, not blaming victims um however and and that got sort of derailed because when i got halfway through the thought i was sort of interrupted and that went in a completely different direction for a while that made me sound kind of like an ass before we finally got back to try to make the point that i was trying to make in the first place um, this idea, though, I think he's on target that there's, you have to be, and this goes back to the whole thing from Chrono Radio days up to now, that the, the buzzword for me when it comes to the way we should look at fandom, intellectual honesty, right? Um, nothing gives anyone, male or female, the right to uh, harass, to assault, to rape, et cetera, et cetera, someone else. Um, if you're in a public place, you can gentlemanly or not approach somebody. But when it's pretty clear that you need to go away, that's when the time is to go away. That's not about being even a gentleman. That's being a well-adjusted human being. You know, that's not being creepy, essentially, whether it's male or female. Doesn't matter. Um, and, and a lot of times we do find that sci-fi fans, you know, there's a reason for the stereotype of sci-fi fans being maladjusted or living in their parents' basement and such. It's not everybody. It's not even the majority of people. But there's enough of that sort of social awkwardness, whether it's born of actual awkwardness or simply, holy crap, I'm finally around people who share the same interests as me because most of the people around me aren't. There's that tendency for the social environment in which these these uh, conventions take place to take any kind of, of personality quirks or social, not ineptitude, but social uh, gray areas and blow them up even more into something that, that becomes an issue. Um, I do agree though that to an extent, um, that there's a physiological role in this stuff. Uh, yes, the man has a responsibility not to do wrong by a woman, by other men, it doesn't matter. Um, because it's still an element of choice. It's all a nature versus nurture thing. You know, how much is choice and how much is life experience? How much is, uh, uh, genetics 
and something you can't control. Uh, I would say, you know, it's kind of the same thing. I may be having a dull day, be frustrated and annoyed as I'm working on something for work. We've got this thing called LDC, Literacy Design Collaborative. It's a thing that ties into the Bill and Linda Gates Foundation to get people to read more, get students um, better reading skills. But man, grading those essays is a pain in the ass to the nth degree. But no matter how frustrated I get with that, I find if my wife comes in and she just got a shower and she walks in in like little booty shorts or something to go to sleep, all of a sudden, uh, uh, what, 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 what was I doing? You know, it's, it's, it's the mind clearing thing. Um, it's sort of an automatic, autonomic response that you get, uh, no matter what else tends to be happening. Um, that is why, for instance, uh, men can be raped. Uh, it's one of the, the big issues that came up in uh, the, the late 90s, early 2000s, whether or not a man can be raped, uh, because there's, there's the assumption that, well, see, a man can't go through with a sexual act if he is afraid, a man can't go through with a sexual act if he is not choosing to, and that, that saying no out loud for a man means nothing if his body is responding and saying yes physically, uh, which is basically a load of crap. Because what we're finding is there are, there are choices that are autonomic, that there are choices that are biological, um, that aren't really choices so much as they're just reactions, and there's choices you make intellectually and consciously, which is the saying of no. Um, they found that men, when presented with a situation, uh, even that is coerced sex, can still have the same reaction to look like they're ready for it, um, and so forth. I'm trying not to say it in a less kind of way because it's a family show and such. Um, it, it's something where, um, that legally does not make a distinction. It still causes juries to be like, well, wait a second. If he got excited, of course he wanted it. Um, but they've, they've done studies that even women who are being raped, sometimes there's a small number who will physically find themselves reacting the way they would if they wanted it, even though consciously they are saying no. Does that somehow mean it's not rape anymore? No. The physical response is, is one thing, the conscious is another. So, but even if you are a man having a physical response of when you see someone wearing the slave Leia, you do have the responsibility of consciously not being an of not being someone who's going to harm someone else. Um, this gets into something that uh, we'll deal with it in a little bit. I don't want to bring it up just yet, but if, that there's a freedom of speech issue and an expression thing tied up in all of this. Um, but yeah, it, it's the it's the responsibility of the man to make the right choice and to be aware that just because a woman is wearing slim, something slinky doesn't mean that she's looking for someone to hook up with because many of the women that I know who cosplay have boyfriends, are married. Um, and just because a woman is at a convention doesn't mean she's there cruising for dudes. Um, you have to recognize that as a guy. You have to recognize that even if she is looking for attention, it may not be your attention she's looking for. Um, it's just a matter of being aware and intellectually honest with the situation and with your surroundings. But the women also need to be able to recognize the effect that they're having on the men and be cognizant of that. If a woman is going to wear something that to her is empowering, if it is slinky, fine. But be aware of the way people are going to look at it. Some people are going to look at it and be derisive about it. Some people are going to look at it uh, and be like, uh, and aroused by it. Some people are going to be drawn to you for pictures. Some are going to be drawn for less savory things like harassment, assault, whatever. That's why I'm saying be aware of your surroundings. Um, know the atmosphere of a convention before you go into it 
and act accordingly. You know, know where to go if you need help and that sort of thing. But if you are a woman dressed slinkily, it is somewhat naive, intellectually dishonest, and unfair in a lot of ways that if you're dressed like, if you're dressed as a slinky slave Leia and a guy come up and is like, hi, and happens to be looking you up and down to say, I can't believe you. I'm offended, you son of a bitch, and send them away and, and get angry over what is essentially the reaction that you should have predicted long beforehand. It's the equivalent of, and I almost, almost, I'm glad that I came up with a better example of this because um, at one point I was going to see if I could find a clip from Dave Chappelle's, I think it was Killing Him Softly, um, where he talks about a woman dressed up uh, rather skankily for a club uh, and being mistaken for a prostitute and the line about, well, what if I was wearing something that looked like a policeman's uniform? Um, lady, you may not be a whore, but you're wearing a whore's uniform. I think that goes pretty far and would have been an offensive way of putting it. But let's take an example that I live through pretty frequently here because I don't tend to think about it. Uh, when I go to work, uh, because of my asthma, I don't tend to wear a shirt with a tie. I tend to wear like a polo shirt type thing, and generally I'm wearing khakis. And because our school colors where I teach are burgundy and gold and such, but burgundy being the main one, I will have a tendency to wear things that are sort of darker red or even red depending on the day because that just sort of fits, you know, the atmosphere of school spirit around the building. And one of the places that I go for, you know, quick little pizzas when it's not going to mess my stomach up or when I go to buy a new video when it comes out or just kind of look around to see what's going on with the Star Wars line at the time is the local Target. And there have been plenty of days where I've gotten off work dressed in khakis and a red shirt, a red polo shirt, and gone to Target. And there are times when people will come up to me, nearly come up to me, or actually come up and ask me questions thinking I work at Target because I'm wearing basically a Target uniform just without a name tag. I don't really have the right to be a jerk to those people for thinking I might be a Target employee if I'm wearing the clothing that essentially is Target employee clothing. Um, you have to be aware of what you're wearing and the effect that it has on others. Whether it's sexual or just, hey, I'm looking for someone to help me with this in uh, the shoe section of Target, I'm going to look for someone with khakis and a red shirt. Um, it, both sides have to be intellectually honest about the whole situation and know what is and is not appropriate and act accordingly. This is not all on the women. It's not all on the men. It's on us as human beings. There's a way to treat each other for the love of God, that isn't being jerks no matter what. It's not screwing with anybody's mind. It's not berating anybody. It's not harassing anybody. It's simply a matter of doing the right thing. Something that it seems, and I'm sure this will pop up later on the, the episode, something it seems that sometimes our society refuses to acknowledge, the idea that there is such a thing as a right thing in this era of moral relativism. But it's a whole I mean, other thing. I go to the store and I get a lot, uh, and it's funny because I get little old ladies telling my or asking my wife if they can borrow her husband and i'm always like what it's because i'm tall <laughs> you know i'm like I, I get it a lot like can you help me with this and and i'm always nice i'm always polite about it i mean i you know i acknowledge the fact that you know they they have their limitations and i i have a chance to be helpful but you know it makes me wonder you know on that same time if you were a lady and you wanted to be a certain character but say you're one of those ladies that's chest is just you know well endowed in that regard and yet you're like, I really want to be this character, but I know if I put that costume on, I'm not going to be, you know, left alone at all. And I, I, 
I guess there is that aspect of unfairity for them. Unfairity, I don't think that's a word, but where, you know, they want to do something they can, but because of the way nature has, you know, blessed them or cursed them, depending on how they're looking at it. Because uh, I do know some ladies that have had their breasts reduced because they saw it as a huge curse, you know, the back pain and all that stuff. And they didn't like the fact that they were constantly being looked at for that one aspect of who they are. Uh, so, I mean, there is that level of unfair in there as well, but, you know, that, that shouldn't take away from the end that, that we are all humans and we all have choices. This brings us to the second of the three emails that we got. Actually, this is a Facebook comment, but it was something that was uh, on point and somewhat different from my perspective on it. So I wanted to make sure it did get into the show to present this point of view uh, having to do with Dragon Con. Uh, this comes in from Michael Falker, who says, I grumbled a bit at the description of Dragon Con. I've been going for about five to six years, and I've seen and heard of the things that Nathan talked about. I've also seen how DragonCon has been increasingly adding more family-friendly tracks and panels, including entire tracks on kids and young adult fiction. Since it's a fan-run convention, and most of the staff are volunteers, the community is pretty much self-policing. This includes guidance to restrict more adult costumes for times when kids won't likely be around, such as at night. DragonCon is unlike other conventions in that fans keep the party going 24 hours a day during the con, even when the panels have stopped for the day. DragonCon has also been much, much better in recent years about enforcing harassment policies and bringing in the cops when needed. It is not uncommon to see the Atlanta police walking around the hotels at night as a deterrent to bullying and harassment. The more family-friendly side of the con doesn't get as much attention because the sexy side is much more attractive to talk about, tell stories about, and in some cases, make urban legends about. I won't deny that DragonCon has the things that Nathan brought up, but I think that the better, much larger side should also be addressed, especially in a discussion like the one presented in this episode. It is one of the better cons I've attended, and it's certainly much more than a hedonism convention. The stuff you describe exists, but it's not the norm. See, and that's good to know, because, I mean, when Riley and Bethany Blanton, my co-host of the Star Wars Report, when they went, they had nothing but good things to say. But they did also mention the fact that they came in early each of those days. But I was immediately like, okay, this sounds like it'd be a lot of fun. And then with all the stuff with wood coming up, it was like, okay, so what are some of the examples of places where this would probably be seen more often? Which, of course, you know, that was where that the, the aspect of Dragon Con kind of come forward. But I, I, at least I came away with the feeling of, you know, I could go there, I could take my family there, and I don't think it would be an issue. I mean, we've gone up, when we went up to Seattle, we happened to be there when they were doing their uh, hemp carnival or whatever, hemp festival and stuff, and we're walking around and people, it's Washington, it's legal there, and they're literally just smoking their joints right there on the street, and I'm like, my kids are right here. But, you know, it's one of the things where we just didn't stay around there with the kids. We just, hey, we're going to go over here, we're going to go... Uh, see the, the needle, we'll go do the EMP museum. I mean, there are plenty of other things to do. And I, I assume that, you know, Dragon Con's the same, that if you find yourself in one of those more seedier areas, there's probably something going on somewhere else that you can go and do and have just as much fun at. And, you know, I think there's a couple elements here. Um, if they have tried to make it more family-friendly in the last few years, thank goodness to them. Uh, I made a mention in that episode, I think, of the fact that I haven't gone to Dragon Con uh, for several years. I want to say my last time going to Dragon Con was probably, I don't know, 2005-ish, maybe 2006, because of how bad it had gotten. So to me, Dragon Con drove me away, uh, as it may drive others, may have driven others away, may drive others away, um, because of that. And it's not so much that Dragon Con itself is the one promoting this, um, but you do have the 24-hour party scene and that, at least back then, was about as hedonistic as I've ever seen 
a convention get. Um, that may have changed, but what I'm hearing from people who stay in the hotels is that it may have changed a little, but not nearly as much as to say that it's not still a problem. Uh, n again, that's sort of one of those things that, you know, say how it's a community policing in a sense as a fan organized convention. Uh, the community has apparently a ways to go in that regard, at least somewhat, um, because what you've got is still a segment of the Dragon Con community that goes pretty overboard and makes it somewhat, you know, worrisome. I mean, you make the kind of the Atlanta PD being there because they've made out a point to make sure they've got the extra help. A convention shouldn't need that if it is fully family-friendly. Although in this case, it's such a giant convention, they might need it just for the sake of crowd control type things and making sure that other people in those hotels who aren't there for the convention are being kept awake all stinking night. Um, but yeah, I acknowledge, DragonCon may have changed somewhat in the time since I've been there. Um, when I was going, though, which seems to apparently have been shortly before Michael would have been going, um, it was bad. Uh, it was bad. If not the, the panels themselves being bad, but certainly the atmosphere that was created, especially the later you got into the night. It was not a convention I would have taken a child to. Maybe it is now. Um, but that's why we had other folks on the show who, in their case, had been to DragonCon much more recently than I did. I would take their word more over what it's like than my own memory, given the fact that it's been a good number of years. I mean, we're going on almost a decade uh, here in the next few years since I've bothered with DragonCon. And that brings us to our last one that comes in. Uh, this is the one that kind of prompted us that we wanted to make sure we got a feedback episode in soon, um, because this certainly is a different perspective than the one that we offered, although I think in a lot of ways we agree with at least some of this. Um, it's just it may be said in a way that might inflame some listeners. So uh, we're just going to go with saying this comes in from uh, someone the way that they signed it as opposed to the email carrying the name. Uh, signed by S, uh, who is a listener to this show for a while. Um, and I'm assuming, Mark, you just kind of need to be uh, uh, on the, the the weird sound to put over the words button here, possibly. Um, okay. Now, coming in about that same episode and the same issue of Khan's harassment and the like. Holy crap, did this episode piss me off. How about this? If you're an ultra-sensitive, liberal, feminist d***bag, maybe you shouldn't go to conventions. Also, you probably really shouldn't go to a con dressed as a if you're not socially capable of handling human interaction. I'm so sick of how we as a society are constantly being castrated and homogenized into this ultra-safe, sexless, inoffensive group of f***ing pansies. It's okay to be offended once in a while. That's the price we pay for freedom of speech. I'd also like to point out that there's never ever in the history of the world been a better or safer time to be a woman. Not that there isn't still progress to be made, but let's not act like there's a rape machine at the local comic book convention. I would lastly like to point out that I have two daughters. I teach them how to be strong and confident. I also teach them about the realities of the world we live in. I don't teach them how to be easily offended, entitled little wimps who think life should just be handed to them. Life's hard. You gotta deal with stuff and people you don't always like. Bullies and bad people will always exist, and no amount of liberal entitlement can wash that away. S. <laughs> you know, when I hear that, I, I, I don't know why, but some reason I pictured George Carlin writing that <laughs> like <laughs> just the, the 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 heat of the moment like that that must have been like as we were like in conversation this email was being typed <laughs> well let's see okay so let me kind of take this bit by bit i'll get my thoughts in here and then and turn it back over to mark because it does bring up uh, an interesting issue in that second paragraph 
Um, to start with, uh, yeah, it's sort of the same thing what I was saying about, you know, be aware of your surroundings. Uh, if you can't handle the attention of others, don't wear the slinky clothing. Um, if you aren't sure you can handle a particular convention's atmosphere, don't go or be there with someone who's been there before who can sort of guide you through it. Again, that's about being intellectually honest with yourself about who you are, the situation you're in, where you're going to, and making sure that you're doing it in a safe and responsible manner. Um, that's just something you should do anywhere, but conventions especially because they bring together a lot of people who aren't necessarily always cloistered into that same location. Um, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that it is ultra-sensitive to be offended by harassment and such, but yes, it is ultra-sensitive if you know you dress in something slinky and then if someone looks at you and smiles because you know they're thinking, wow, she's hot, yes, that is probably over the top and falls into that ultra-sensitive liberal feminist <laughs> bag label. Um, but again, that's that's sort of the, 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 the society that we're in is we're sort of turning ourselves into this politically correct atmosphere, which I guess is kind of what he's saying, where you're free to... So where we're looking for, it's, it's like religion, right? It's You have freedom of religion, right? The free exercise clause, the establishment clause. The government cannot establish an official religion. You have free exercise of your religion to the point that you're not hurting someone, which is a topic we're going to go back to with speech here in just a second. Um, it's not freedom from religion. It's it, You have, it, it's been expanded within the Supreme Court that uh, freedom of religion includes those who choose to believe in nothing, say atheism. But you do not have the freedom to simply never run into anyone expressing their religious beliefs whatsoever. Um, and that's sort of what we're starting to become, this idea of you must take religion out of the public square or out of the public arena, if not public in the, the government sense, but uh, the collective societal sense, and you must do it behind closed doors if that is your beliefs. Um, it, kind of this kind of issue here of this idea that, well, uh, that no one should ever be offended ever by anything, and if they are, then dang it, the government should do something. Or dang it, someone should do something about you. Uh, and that brings it into that second um, paragraph of his where he talks about uh, castrated, homogenized into an ultra-safe, sexless, inoffensive group of effing pansies, which I think is sort of his way of saying the same thing, this politically correct environment uh, in which it's not okay to be offensive or different or whatever on this idea that we're sort of a society now that that makes almost everything out to be okay um again there's not a right and wrong so much as there's just illegal and legal and there's just this sense of sort of a uh the politically correct moral relativism type of thing that's happening um whereas i tend to believe more towards the idea that there is a right and wrong even if it's simply a matter of doing what is cordial to one another um having honor in what you're doing. I mean, even leaving religion out of it. I'm a Protestant Christian, for what it's worth, but even leaving religion out of it to say, you know, that there are gentlemanly things to do and there's things that just make you a jerk. Why would you purposely generally want to be a jerk? That's not a way to a happy life. Um, but he says the line, he says, it's okay to be offended once in a while. That's the price we pay for freedom of speech. And my argument would be yes, to an extent. Um, harassment and such doesn't fall under the category of free speech. Um, as the Supreme Court has said multiple times. Um, the, the, the maxim that I guess in a sense fits this best is this idea of, you know, my freedom to swing my arm ends at your nose. Uh, we have freedoms, but we need to remember that, number one, our freedom of speech, religion, etc., etc., 
You understand the Bill of Rights is designed around the idea of what the government cannot do. It's a document of limited government. The government cannot stifle your freedom of speech unless you're harming someone else. The, you know, ends at your nose thing. You are free to speak without government uh, intervention unless, say, you yell fire in a crowded theater. You're destroying someone's reputation and earning ability through slander that's spoken or libel that is written. Um, or you are harming someone uh, in sort of a, the fearful sense through something like sexual harassment, which is different than flirting, which is different than approaching someone and asking them out. Sexual harassment is sort of a pattern thing, and it's designed with the, 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 the fear element into it and such, knowing that the other person is not receptive to it. Um, but freedom of speech in this sense, I mean, yes, we have, we can, we're going to be offended from time to time. That is why freedom, I mean, it's the old line about how you, you know, freedom of speech wouldn't exist if you were going to agree with everybody, because then you wouldn't need to protect it, no one would be trying to shut it down. Freedom of speech is designed to protect speech we don't agree with. This is why the KKK can exist still, um, even though the vast majority of society completely dismisses their views as backward, insane, and certainly out of touch with modern society. Um, but that is not a, a, a private entity thing. Um, I, you know, if I want to go out in a public square or in a, a council meeting and talk about, you know, whatever, um, like, if, if I am the grandpa or dad or whatever the heck he is from Duck Dynasty, and I want to go out and speak, the government can't stop me from giving my opinion about, in his case, his opinion was about uh, gay marriage or, or just homosexuality in general. Um, he has the right to say that if it's the government who is possibly shutting it down. That's why it was asinine that when the whole Duck Dynasty thing was going on, people were talking about free speech, free speech, free speech. It wasn't the damn government that tried to shut him down. Your employer has every right to decide what you can and cannot say on the job. Or if we're talking about broader expression, what you can wear on the job. If I want to go to work at uh, as a lifeguard, they can choose whether I wear regular swimming trunks or a Speedo and what is or isn't appropriate. If I work at Target, McDonald's, wherever, my employer can decide whether I can cuss in front of the customers and whether I get my butt fired if I do. Duck Dynasty situation, A&E had every right, that's a channel it is, I believe, uh, A&E had every right to decide that if you say something that might paint their brand in a bad light with some groups of their potential audience, whether it's logical to be in a bad light or not, that people might react with a knee-jerk reaction that way, that they don't want that to wind up splashing back on them, that they can put the guy essentially on hiatus or fire him or whatever. Frankly, they should probably give the guy a raise, given all the extra attention it got to Duck Dynasty for people who hadn't even watched the thing before. Um, but that was totally cool. That was totally okay. Why? Not the government. Um, the, the conventions have the right, the authority, uh, the auspices on them, that they can place limits on what kind of, what kind of costumes can be worn, about what type of behavior is and isn't okay. That is not freedom of speech. Um, unless the government is making the laws regarding that behavior. And usually if you wind up buying your way into a con or going onto a website or wherever, there are terms of service that are involved when you buy the ticket, when you get online and create a username and such, specifically for that purpose. To make sure that it's, that, you know, that if I run, if I'm on the defiance forums for the video game and the TV series that I am following, um, I can't just go on and start cussing people out and stuff like that because when I signed on, 
There was a terms of service agreement which included a harassment against others clause, and they can boot my butt anytime they want when they see an infraction of that. Now, if you don't make an infraction, you probably sue them. You know, that they essentially barred you from something without being legal cause, but that's about it. Um, so yeah, it'd be, it would be nice if we didn't have to be offended, but being offended is part of freedom of speech, but it can be curtailed up to a point. So yes, um, and, and that's why we have laws against harassment and so forth. Um, so is it freedom of speech for the person to make a comment? Uh, at least in general, you know, you can make the comment, but understand there are laws regarding once you cross that line into sexual harassment. No one is saying the guy shouldn't have a reaction. We're saying, though, that no essentially means no, as the saying goes. Yes, it is a, the one of the safer times in history for women, uh, but it's not necessarily a time in which it's the safest time for people in general. We have reached a point where crime statistics are kind of taken as a given in some respects, um, that certain behaviors are taken as, well, there's nothing morally wrong or you know, right about such something. It's all morally relative. Anyway, um, I'm glad that S is teaching his children the way that I would hope that I would teach my children to recognize the realities of the world around them and that they have a responsibility for making their own life. That life is tough. You're going to run into dickheads from time to time, but you have to be able to deal with them, know when it crosses the line, and when it does cross the line, know where to go for help, and to make sure that you yourself don't cross the line in being both a good citizen and, frankly, a good person. Um, I, I think. In the spirit of what he's saying, most of it is simply that we need to be honest about all aspects of the situation before anyone is being condemned for anything um, with relation to this situation, in which case I agree. But the idea that in a sense that the that the content of act what we actually said is somehow promoting this idea that men should not be men or that um, that we're promoting this idea of uh, making people into pansies or the idea that it's not a safe time to be a woman or that we are, quote, asserting that there is a rape machine at the local comic book convention, I think goes a little far. But I think he was getting at just the idea that it is a frustrating issue and usually men become the targets of the beatings on it with the male side usually not being one that is well represented in these discussions, um, which is what we tried to do. Um, but certainly this is a topic that's, that brings out uh, those types of very impassioned and sometimes certainly well beyond politically correct ways of, of expressing that. Yeah. As a dad, you know, I'm, I, I want to do right by my children. You know, I want to raise them up to be proper people and, and, and do good and help the community, you know, do those kind of things. But I run across so many different types of people and, you know, it makes me ponder, you know, what their backgrounds were and stuff, what their family lives were and things. And, you know, and, and, and like I, I told my wife, you know, one of my fears, people, you know, when you have daughters, you know, somebody always eventually throws up, well, what if your daughter ends up in porn? And you're just like, you know, I don't want to think about that for one. But then when you do, you're like, well, you know, like half of these people have parents too. So I'm sure that like, you know, there's a part of their parents that are just hating it. And there's a part of their parents that are just like hoping that their kids are being safe. And I, I, that's, I guess, at the end of the day is that there's so many varying aspects of humans that you know, go be yourself, but just don't let it inflict other people. And like you said, it, your safety, your right ends at my safety at my nose and that kind of stuff. I mean, 
I don't know. It, it's it's one of those things that as a dad, I'm constantly thinking about it. There is no right or wrong answer for me. I just hope I'm doing the best for my children. And, you know, you, you see other areas and other states and, and other countries and what's right and wrong and taboo for over there and stuff. And I mean, it, it's really it just comes down to different people's ideas as to what that is. And, you know, it, it, the sad thing is, is that common sense is actually not very common. And you would be surprised how many people put their foot in their mouth just in conversations, you know, and then the aspect of, as, as we mentioned earlier about how, you know, once a man gets moving in certain areas uh, and their libido kicks in and things like that, and they stop thinking, like, I always get worried about those type of things. Like, you know, that's one of the reasons why I don't drink. When I was younger, I got in situations where it was easy to say the alcohol was the reason why I did what I did. But I owned my actions. It was like it didn't matter that I was drunk at the time and that I could barely remember the day. I did what I did while that happened. So I don't drink anymore because I know, you know, I, I did stupid things and I was not in control of myself. So I, you know, I had to stop that and, and leave it all behind. And, you know, sometimes that's one of those things. Like if you're one of those type of guys that can't see a beautiful woman without making an inappropriate comment, well, maybe you shouldn't be going to the cons or maybe you should be leaving when those type of people start to come around. I mean, I don't know. But at the same time, it works all the way around. I mean, there are choices that we have and decisions we make and we need to stop and think, are these the best for me and are these the best for everyone around me? Because like you point out, Nathan, I mean, sometimes the decisions we make affect the people around us which then turn around and impact us again and we shouldn't be surprised when that happens sometimes i mean we need to stop and think about these things more often which is part of why we do episodes like the episode about etiquette and protocol i mean because you know these situations are around and they are happening and you know the awareness needs to be brought up and by bringing up that awareness it helps us as a collective address the fact that we need to as individuals be making better choices and better decisions Now, as we're wrapping up the episode here, thanks to all those uh, who wrote in. We'll do more feedback episodes in the future, so keep those emails coming in, swbeyondfilms at starwarsfanworks.com. You can also interact with us, of course, on the Facebook page and such. We do have some contests wrapping up, um, but not anything that we can announce in this episode. When this episode is coming out, we should already have seen the end, or be seeing the end, of the Equals and Opposites second comic pack prize package. And uh, as of a week before this episode is coming out, around Valentine's Day, uh, we had the end of the last signed copy of Greater Good. But at this point, those winners haven't been drawn because we are recording this episode on the 9th of February still. We're quite a bit ahead as far as this episode goes. So keep an eye out. In the near future, we are going to be announcing the winners of those things in upcoming episodes. And we will also be talking about how you can get your hands on a signed uh, card that has me on it from the Star Wars Action News card set that they put out quite a while back. Uh, or a signed card from the Wars Trading Card Series if you happen to be someone following that series that I've written for. But for now, no new contest to announce, but uh, keep an eye out, because the ones that are still ongoing are wrapping up as we speak. Uh, the Facebook page is a great place to keep up with what is and isn't still available contest-wise. And speaking of wrapping up, that about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. We'd like to thank you once again for hanging around with us as we ponder on sharing our fandom. 
Remember, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online at the Star Wars Report's Second Airborne Division at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes are also available on Zoom, Stitcher, and on iTunes, which we encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it. You can also find links to our episodes on both our Twitter and our Facebook page at SWBeyondFilms, or just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in the search bar. Hey, but no matter how you get there, be sure to like our page. It's the best way to interact with us, our own home one, if you will. Not only can you post comments about past shows, we love interacting with you fellow fans. So if you have any Star Wars and or EU questions, or you just want to comment about a past episode, fire off. You can always email us directly at SWBeyondFilms at StarWarsFanWorks.com. Now, lastly, before we go, we wanted to mention to you our Audible trial. If you go to www.audibletrial.com slash Report, you get a free trial run of Audible.com to see what they're all about. Our sponsors have more than 100,000 titles. You can explore the Star Wars Expanded Universe or any other genre without being stuck with a book you flat out hate because Audible members, they can exchange any book within 12 months, no questions asked. So in this digital age, if you're thinking of making the switch from the page to the audiobook, Audible just might be right for you. So, once again, for Stars Beyond the Films, this has been Mark and Whistler. And Nathan. Saying thanks for listening and may the force be with you. And don't quote us the odds that we will have pissed off somebody new this episode. Yeah, that our next feedback episode will be dedicated to this one. 